We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I am your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today played 14 years in the NFL. He went to 12 Pro Bowls, a record for defensive backs until Champ Bailey tied him. He also held the record for career returns for touchdowns for a quarter of a century. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1986 after a career where he recorded 49 interceptions and 21 fumble recoveries. He's viewed as one of the top strong safeties, maybe the top strong safety of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Ken Houston. Ken, welcome. Thank you so very much. Oh, great. Well, Ken, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, obviously, the way, the way I like to do the show is we just, you know, kind of talk about the, you know, the early days, you're, you know, growing up in, in your case in Texas and just take it through your pro career. You're born in Lufkin, Texas, and went to uh, Dunbar High School in Lufkin. Uh, tell me a little bit about growing up in Texas and, and, you know, kind of your high school years. Well, you know, Texas was the only place I knew. <laughs> so I thought, I thought it was great. And I still have that affinity to want to go back to my hometown. I'm probably 121 miles from that now. And, uh, you know, still have the same friends as one that are still living. And uh, my childhood was one that I didn't want to get away from. It was something that I wanted to be a part of. And as a result, I've had an opportunity to really live all of my life because I lived not wanting to do something else or be somebody else or whatever. I was always satisfied with me. I was always satisfied with my parents, my brothers and sisters. So it, it's not like a, I've been living a long time. You know, like sometimes I see kids say, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And uh, football becomes a consumption. Well, I was just the opposite. I didn't want to play football. I, I, I was in the band, a good band member. And I only started playing football my sophomore year in high school. And I was an offensive center and a middle linebacker. And my brother and I happened to play the same position. I think maybe I was a little bit better of an athlete. So I had uh, an opportunity to, it wasn't an opportunity, but they chose me 
And that made my being on the team as a starter bittersweet because I was for the next person. I want to always see someone else do it. So I ended my playing career uh, not being, I was a football player, but not involved in football. Uh, there were other things I wanted to do. I, I love life. You know, I, I was the kind of kid that would, you know, I played golf and I played basketball. I thought my scholarship was a, would, would be a basketball scholarship. And uh, I went to college um, on the other end of a package deal. They really didn't want me. They wanted this guy by the name of Wallace Smith, who was an excellent tackle. He was like 6'3", 6'4", 245, 250. So they took him, and uh, I think he got the scholarship. I got the grant, and uh, I went uh, with him to Prairie View and had a great coach down there, Billy Nix, and who uh, Wright was my secondary coach. I ended up all centers played middle linebacker. So I was an offensive center and a middle linebacker all the way through college, and I got drafted as a safety. I'd never played the safety position in my life, and uh, that they, they had – that kind of talent now that I look back at it because we had guys that went to pro ball that never played uh, that position in the pro drafted them in what they thought they would be, uh, what they could become. So I thoroughly enjoyed my time playing. I was always looking. I had gotten a degree. I was always looking to get out of the game. And uh, so I approached the game differently. You know, like uh, my parents instilled in us a strong religious background. So a lot of the things that uh, uh, people may have had or whatever, we felt like we had everything, but it wasn't everything that everyone else had. We were taught to uh, enjoy what was given to us. And I've lived my life like that. As a matter of fact, my life has kind of slipped up on me because uh, I enjoy every day. You know, I'm, I still have a, I, I lost one sister, but my, brother and my sister, we always get together on Zoom on Sunday because the church was instilled in us and uh, it has been the forefront of what we do. And, you know, I, I tell people the story all the time. When I went with the Allers, on a Sunday before a professional game, I would go and sing in the church choir and then go to the stadium and play. So I was just doing something that was, uh, I was allowed to do this. It, it, it's like, I've never become that player that other people talk about. You know, like, a, a the, you know, a guy go, man, I want to do this and I was born to do this. I wasn't, I wasn't born to do that. This whole thing has been a gift for me. And so I've lived long enough to uh, see the gift and very quickly I, I, I'll run through this. A year ago, I guess it was, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I was in the yard working and I passed out, <clears throat> almost passed out. But anyway, make a long story short, I go to the hospital and I had uh, leukemia. So I was in the hospital three and a half months uh, getting over cancer. And I, the day I got out, they took the ports out and uh, they found a lump in my other arm and in my leg. And it was lymphoma. Uh, it was just my time with what God was giving me or what he had given me. So I had, it was other things for me to do. There was other work for me to do. I'm not at the end of life, I don't think. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm the one that's, I'm not afraid to ask God to allow me to live because he did it. 
And so I'm not getting off into anything uh, to say that instead of a football player, you have a whole person. And I think that's with uh, all football players. I look back at the career that I had. I look, I go on YouTube sometimes, and I see some of the things that I did. And 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 uh, I'm like, is that me? You know, I mean, and I just, and that's the way I played it. You know, it's I never became a professional football player. I was a, a guy with a bunch of friends. We thoroughly enjoyed each other. And we, we, it was a friendship that was built instead of the four years in high school or the four years in college. It was built like maybe 10, 12 years in pro ball. So there are still people that I know and, and thank God for people like you that uh, the old guys can tell that story. But uh, I, mine was a gift. I had Go seen ahead. a quote from you. Um, you said, I played football, but I was never a football player. Football has right. its good place and I kept it in its good place. I thought that yes. was a great quote about perspective. Yeah. Well, that, that's what it was. You know, like I was, uh, I want to, I'm, I'm not a complete person, but I used my childhood for what childhoods were used for. You know, we'd go out, we'd do a Cub Scout, Boy Scout, we'd do the hunting, we'd do the, you know, I'd, I'd work some hard jobs, I'd haul, haul hay. Yeah, and I'm going to pick cotton with my grandmother and them. And so like, and all this was a family matter. And I remember my grandmother, they would go, uh, they would, we're there from Crockett, Texas. And they would, you know, we'd go over there and work in the fields with them. And then in September, they would go to Arizona and pick cotton to November and come back and start school. And I, I, I think four or five of those girls have PhDs. Oh, you wow. know, so it, it, it's, uh, it's the thing that, uh, I can't, I can't go out and find something that somebody's trying to give me. That comes from the house. You know, like you can't expect the football coach to raise your child. That has to come from the house. Everybody's not going to play football. Everybody not start playing football when in the sixth and seventh grade. You know, I mean, I was I was afraid when I was in the in the tenth grade. I was afraid when I was in pro ball, and I played like I think 197 games. I broke my arm. And I never missed a game. Well, let me tell you one thing I got from that. We were playing New York, and this they had the running back. I can't call his name right now, but every time we played, he hurt me. <laughs> and so anyway, I'm coming up to force a play, and I forced it, and I dropped my arm between my pad and a shoulder pad, and it snapped my arm, broke my arm. And uh, I didn't know my arm was broken. It was just pain like anything else. And so I had its pain and, and the trainers came out. I said, hey, I'll be all right in a couple of minutes. Let me know. You know, I'll be an ego. No, I don't think so. Like that, we think we got a break here. So just for halftime, and I remember, you know, they taking me to the sideline and I'm walking in the locker room and everything was quiet because, you know, it's like when a player get hurt, the fan gets really, really quiet. Well, on the way into the locker room, they started the game up. And everybody just started immediately cheering, cheering. And it came to me that the game has missed players, but it has never missed a play. And that's how you kind of fit it into life. And that's what I am. So I like, I'm, I, 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 I'm a football fan. I, I, I don't know how you can make it safe because it's a violent game, you know. And the players go into the game with that, 
with that uh, intention, you don't hit somebody to make them cripple. You hit somebody to get them down. But when you, when I'm, I'm 197 pounds and the back is 230 and we both run at full speed, that's a collision. That's what cars do. One more thing. I don't think my parents ever came to a professional game. They wouldn't even watch They, they wouldn't even watch it on TV. Really? Yeah, so I wasn't playing for anybody. I was playing simply because I wanted to play as a way to make a living. I was going to play a couple of years, you know, and a couple of years turned into 14. But I, I met some of the greatest people in my lifetime uh, on the field, played with them. I was with them for years. And the one thing I remember, uh, one, a lot of the coaches stand out, but George Allen really stands out to me. And the reason he stands out to me is for all the years I was there, I never heard him swear. He never said a swear word. And he was intense as anybody in the game. And then away from the game, he was just, uh, he was he was a guy that you wanted to have as your father. So a lot of a lot of the uh, things that, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Well, I was 37. So you had to coach me like you were coaching another man. You know, so I think it's good for the coaches and the players. But you have to understand it's, it's all a teaching process. You know, I coached for a while and uh, it, it takes up all your time. So I just didn't I just didn't feel like that, you know, to do that. Well, I am curious. Um, so when, when you were coming out of high school, you, you went to Prairie View, um, yeah. which was, as, as you mentioned, coached by Billy Nix, who's a legend. Mm -hmm. And, and in reading about that, a couple of things popped into my head. One, um, I had read that Eddie Robinson, who, you know, most people hold up as, you know, kind of the, the, you know, the dean or the king of certainly in the historically black colleges, that he, quote unquote, dreaded playing Prairie View and Billy Nix, um, yeah. which is amazing. So tell me a little bit about Billy Nix, because he's not a guy who gets as much recognition as <clears throat> Eddie Robinson. <coughs> Tell me about Coach Nix. Uh, he was very, uh, if you would see him, he, he allowed his coaches to coach. And I never heard him yell. Well, yeah, I heard, I heard him yell one time. He told the senator snapped the ball. And the senator snapped the ball when he wasn't ready and it popped him. <laughs> That's my first time seeing him get upset. But uh, he used to say this. And, I, you know, now that it was over, I believe him. Uh, he said uh, we, would, we would get ready to go and, and on the bus. And back then, we had to ride the bus that we leave at night because we couldn't stop and use the restroom uh, anywhere. And so usually you use it on the road. And they would give us sandwiches, and uh, the cafeteria would give us sandwiches, and we'd get on the bus and we'd go to Gramlin and we'd go to Southern <laughs> schools like that, you know. But when you got there, it was amazing the amount of talent at those schools. I mean, it was just absolutely mind-boggling. And, and I still think the best player who's not in the Hall of Fame is Otis Taylor, who played with Kansas City. I mean, he was just, he was as good as any receiver as they have in today's game. He was big, he was fast, he could catch. And, and so, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm, it's not a put down, it's just a, in a position to recognize who gave me the most problems or, or who was, you know, whatever. It wasn't a, a, a contest, as it were. You know, it wasn't a popularity contest. Uh, the defensive end, Alvin Reed, uh, 
uh, at Prairie View. He was a tight end when he got to Houston. We went to Houston together. We got traded to the Redskins together. They had guys just playing. They, they just took them in pro ball and put them in position, and they stayed. That's how much talent was at those schools. And you're talking about Ada Robinson and Gremlin. They had Buck Buchanan, Buchanan and Aaron Ladd, uh, Garland Boyette. I mean, you you just you go up up and down the list, and so it it's like uh, we used to tell people, and this is how good we were. We could play Gremlin on the way to a game. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of talent we had. And Gremlin was really good. We played Southern. I mean, Southern had Pete Barnes, they had uh, Walter Payton, and all these guys. Pretty well, most of the guys I see in the Hall of Fame. I played against them in college. Yeah, you know, we 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 learned not to be big headed uh, about when we were given a spot, male, blonde, or anybody like that, because it was just a way of life for us. It was something that we did, very appreciative of it. But you know, it, it's like then you had to be allowed to play, you know, and so we were allowed to play. Uh, I was in a position as a safety. They didn't have many black players you know, black safeties, you know, and so, you know, it, you, you excel and uh, it's not something that you're upset with because you have to be satisfied with yourself. Mm-hmm. And we were, at least I was, and the guys I talked to, the Willow Lanier's and people like that, I mean, we laugh about it, you know, and, uh, but I would just think that uh, it would be good for people to know you know, uh, and it, it, it's almost as a matter of fact. And uh, we enjoyed it, and I have no complaints. Yeah. Well, and, and, and your Prairie View team, your sophomore year, you guys win the, the I guess they call it the Black National title. You yeah, got Otis Taylor. You've got Jim, Jim Carney, who also plays for the Chiefs with, uh, with, with uh, Otis Taylor, who yeah. you hold the record for most return touchdowns in a season in the NFL for interception returns, he ties you, Jim Carney, who was your college quarterback. He sure did. He sure did. And went to Detroit and sat on the bench about four or five years as a quarterback. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, just just amazing. And then you – so you're you're lightly recruited out of high school, pretty much just Prairie View. And then even coming out of college – you're drafted in the ninth round by the Oilers in the AFL. Yeah, I mean they were they were the super they was hiding guys in hotel rooms and you know and all that kind of stuff like that before there. So you know it was it was just uh, the talent was that uh, was that good. I, I tell you what, who, who, who kind of opened the eyes of people? They uh, Michigan State signed Bubba Smith. Yep, and they had Cody with his brother. And the best Smith wall was Willie Ray, the running back who went to Iowa, and he got hurt. Mm. And we played against those guys in high school. And you had Warren Wells, who was uh, a super-duper receiver for the Oakland Raiders. Sure. I mean, so all of these guys that I saw when I got to pro ball, I had played against them in college. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I interviewed Mel Blunt for this show maybe three or yeah. four months ago. And I was asking him, cause you know, he went to Southern and yeah. which is in Baton Rouge. And I said, it, I said, did you guys ever like meet up with the LSU guys? Like unofficially, like we, no, we didn't. It was just crazy. 
and and so I'm curious. So you get to you get to the Oilers. You're a ninth round pick. Wally Lem is your coach, and Wally had won an AFL title earlier in the '60s, and then had left the Oilers and then came back. Um, he's the head coach, and he he does your induction speech at the Hall of Fame, and. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was in that speech or if it was just in an interview he did, but he talked about how after the first scrimmage that you were in, you were thinking of leaving the team and he talked you into staying and you stayed for 14 years. Uh, so yeah. tell me about that. Well, uh, I actually left the team. Uh, we were in Kerrville and uh, we played the Cowboys mm -hmm. and I dislocated my toe, my big toe. And uh, they took me back to, uh, we went back to Kerrville that night on the bus. We played them in San Antonio, I believe. And my toe was hurting. I said, you guys, I need to go to the hospital. You know, and they go, okay, we'll take care of it in the morning. And I got the next morning, my toe was out of control. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a 68 Volkswagen, I believe. I filled it up with soda pop up under the hood. And I got my I got my Volkswagen and I headed to Houston. And I got home and uh, uh, Wally had you know by then this was daytime because that's out of San Antonio. And Wally heard that I had left, and so he called Gusty, called my wife, and said, uh, "It's did Kenneth make it home?" And uh, she said, "Yeah." She said, "Well, tell him he need to come back." And, he, and I told him, "No, I'm not going back." <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm through. And uh, I stayed home a week. And he called her back. He, he communicated with her the whole time. And he said, we really think he has a chance to make the ball club. See if you can just get him to come back. And so I got in my car and drove back to San Antonio. And, uh, you know, they had, a, they had me pencil in as a strong safety with Pete Jones, uh, Larry Caldwell, Zigmore, and myself. They had that for, for the secondary of the future. Mm -hmm. And I got back and uh, I guess the rest of it's a history. And I, that's why, that's one reason I uh, got him to speak at my induction because he was really, really responsible for me standing pro ball. That's, that's amazing. Um, and your team, it, it's, it's an interesting team because it's, it's, it's been a successful team in the AFL. Um, and, you know, there's no shortage of talent coming in. You know, obviously you're there. Elvin Bethea, who's now in the Hall of Fame, he comes in a year or two after you do. Charlie Joyner comes in. Speaking of right. Grambling guys, um, right. he comes in. Um, and, then, and then towards the end of your time there, you actually all of a sudden have this run of quarterbacks, Dan Pastorini, Lynn Dickey, Charlie Johnson. So there's, you know, there's no shortage of talent there. But the team is not really winning that much. And um, uh, or you know is not going to the playoffs after the first year or two, and uh, they start kind of changing coaches a few times. Um, I'm curious, what, like the first time you had to cover Charlie Joyner in practice, what your thoughts were? <coughs> well, really, Charlie Charlie Joyner came there as a defensive back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, he's he a defensive back. So you know, like uh, he his style reminded me of Paul Warfield. Uh, because they, they, when they come off the line of scrimmage, every step they got faster. But they had the cutting ability in between. So when he got to be full speed, it was too late because you waited on the, him to cut, and he's already gone. And, you know, he, he was traded to San Diego, and 
I mean, it, it really wasn't a big deal. Nobody had a Hall of Fame. It, it, it's like uh, he was there. He was good. All that was taking place. But uh, we just kind of we, we took it for granted because we played against him in college. They had Stebbins, Rich Stebbins. He was a 9-2 sprinter. They had Hines at Texas Southern. He was a 9-2 sprinter. Homer Jones went to the New York Giants. Sure. All those guys, we played against him. I ran track against him. I was a shot putter. I let it in, in the shot in college. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, it was just, we were, and I, I, I can't say this without a fact, we were athletes. So they took an athlete and put him in a position, and they excelled. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's amazing. It is amazing, by the way, that you you played your pro career at like 197. You started off as a center in college and, yeah. and you were a shot putter. That's <laughs> just, it's so yeah. improbable. It's amazing. Um, and I'm curious, there was a guy on your team, uh, Jerry Levias, came to yeah. the Oilers from SMU. And he yeah. was, if I recall correctly, the first black man to, uh, to well, basically to integrate the Southwest Conference. Yeah, um, at, SMU. at SMU. Yeah. What did you, did you talk to him about that experience? I mean, that must've been incredibly daunting for him. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it, it was, but uh, it was kind of like a, I mean, if you know something, you really don't bring it up because that was, a, that was just a way of life for us. Sure. I mean, we were glad, you know, we, we wanted to play a &M. You know, like when we were in college, we won a scrimmage against AM because we thought that we had a better club at Prairie than they had at AM. But you never got the opportunity. And so it, it, it's like, a, and I, I've learned this over a lot of years, uh, you don't speak every time you hear something. Because if you do, you never get an opportunity to teach. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so oh, you never get an opportunity to show and understanding that people were different, they were raised different. That's why the locker room is so sacred. Nothing, nothing ever goes on in the locker room. We, we, we had one purpose. We were football players. You know, and for that, for that one hour, that one day, or for the time you were there, that's why you, when you meet guys like that, we, it, it's like when a guy got hit, he understood pain. So we all spoke that language. That hurt. Okay. So we had to, we experienced it and we did it all together. And so that's why you see athletes, uh, you, you know, when you look up, the, the, the locker room was colorblind. You know, guys showered together, you know, played together, ate together, prayed together, and hurt together. So we were there for a common cause. And, and I think that, uh, I think that athletics is probably, the greatest thing out there because you realize that if there's somebody better than you, they probably gonna have that job. Um, and and then speaking of you know continuing to add talent, so then Ken Burrow comes, uh, double yeah. zero, joins the team in your either your last year or your second to last year there. What was what was covering Ken Burrow like? Uh, he was a, he was a streaker. You know, I mean, uh, he he was gonna he could just flat out run you. He went to Texas Southern too. Right. I mean, you know, like it's Bob Hayes. Okay, 
you you just not gonna cover Bob Hayes. You can decide what you want to give up. Do you want to give up seven or do you want to give up a 20-yard out? That was your decision. But you can't run this man. It's world-class speed. It's probably the fastest man in the world at that time. So you know when, when Bob came off the line, we didn't even look back. We just started running for the goal line. You know, <laughs> hopefully you could stay in front of it. You know, good thing he dropped the ball sometimes. Uh, that was uh, – they had Glenn Ray Hines. Uh, not Glenn Ray, but uh, Hines, Jimmy Hines from Texas Southern. We yeah. call him Oop. We call him Oop because he dropped the ball a lot. But, <laughs> I mean, he, he, but he was behind everybody. So, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's a lot of things that we laugh about uh, that we've been – we had been doing since high school because we knew these guys were coming. You know, and it's, it's one thing right now when you look at I, – I, I, I I'm a football fan. You know, like I like it. Uh, I don't like some of the advantages it gives the offense over the defense or the defense over the offense. I don't like that. You know, uh, I, I, I think that when you say a quarterback threw for 300 yards, well, he could have thrown a one-yard pass and the guy ran a 99. So I think you should say the guy threw for 10 yards and this is a collective uh, total of what they did after the catch. So you're thinking, and I, no, no disrespect to quarterback, but, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it, with the speed they got now and, and, and the allowable, you know, like they allow you to hold and they allow you to push off. And, you know, so it's like it's a whole new generation there's no comparison, and I, and I think they're great football players, but it's really it's a difference. You can't compare when a guy was getting thrown to uh, 20 times a game or 10 times a game as opposed to a guy getting thrown to 30 times a game. You know, the game has changed, so I think there need to be an asterisk somewhere that is, that's telling that, you know, this is, this is how it really is because you lose uh, – I, I thank God I got to meet Night Train Lane and Marion Modley and Sam Huff and all those guys because I, I I was a listener and I listened to how they played the game and I tell people all the time I'm 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 grateful for being in the Hall of Fame but the Hall of Fame is no joke it wasn't built for me it was built for Jim Thorpe 1963. And I just happened to have a bus in that hall. So I'm, I, I didn't go into the hall thinking I was supposed to be there. I went into the hall thinking that I'm happy to be here because so many people came in before me and would love to be there, but they can't get in. So when you get in the, into the hall, it's like anything else. That's a privilege. Because it's a lot of players. It's a lot of players that could be there that will never get there. Mary and Molly and that group right there, I used, to, I, used to, I used to love to go just to listen, just to listen to the stories and listen to how it was back when they, when they played against Jim Thorpe and people like that, you know. So, you know, it, it's like anything else in life. You have to, you have to be a learner. Did you, did you um, I mean, I know these lists are subjective, but they're interesting for fans anyway. Sporting News did a, a ranking of the top 100 football players of all time. And- yeah. I think you came in second in the safeties to Emlyn Tunnell. Did you ever have a chance to meet M. Tunnell? I met M. Tunnell. 
I think when I was a, a, a player, but I, I met his family. <laughs> uh, but I was, I think M. Tanel, I'm, I'm trying to think where, he went to Grambling, didn't he? I'm not sure. It seemed like he went to... Uh, Could he have gone to Iowa? Okay, he could have Iowa. <laughs> no, but I, I, I don't... I, 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 I was in the hall back then, and everybody didn't always come back. Right. Uh, you know, like, uh, I remember Night Train, you know, uh, Marion Motley, uh, Ray Nitsky. I mean, those guys had stories to tell. And yeah. so we became real good listeners. I, you know, I, I still appreciate the things that they told me. And they kind of like, they let you know that it's, you're not supposed to be there. It's a privilege to be there. And that's the way I treat it. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, no, nobody ever, I was, I was the most shocked man in the house when they, when, when they told me that I had been inducted. You know, some people think they're great, but people have to pick you. They have to choose greatness. You can't say that, you know, I'm this, I'm that, you know. My deal is I didn't expect to make the Hall of Fame. I didn't, I was I, I was coaching, I think, for the all or something. And that was when Charlie Taylor, Joe Namath, and somebody else made it the year before. And I'm running up to, I knew them, I played against those guys. And I'm shaking their hand and stuff while, while they're driving around the track. It's driving around the track kind of convertible. And I'm shaking their hand, just, just excited that I knew somebody that I had played with somebody who was in the Hall of Fame. And not one time did I have any thought process that I was old or expected. You know, so I I, I might see that different. And, and oh, by the way, you went in on the first ballot, right? You had to have. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's really scary. You know, I mean, uh, it was a willing near. Doak Walker, uh, Paul Harnick. Oh, yeah, Fran Tarkenton. Uh, Fran Tarkenton, yeah. Who did I leave out? That was five, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, myself. And, and what's fascinating to me, it's, it's always fascinating to me when, when a guy who has a, ultimately has a Hall of Fame career has been incredibly productive in your first you know, five or six years. The Oilers clean house. They bring in Sid Gilman. And they trade you for five guys uh, to, to Washington because George Allen coming off that 72 Super Bowl team said, I need one guy. I need Ken Houston, you know, to make this team, you know, to take this team to the next level. What was that like being traded, you know, mid-career? And tell me about your first experience meeting up with Coach Allen. Well, uh, first of all, I was, I was in a state of shock <laughs> because sure. you know, all of us told me that they were, they're going to build a secondary around me, you know, and, and all these things before they sign you. And so when I found out that I had been, I did, I, we were in a off season training camp and I got a call. I didn't live that far from the stadium. I got a call, call about six 30 saying that they want to see me in Sid Gilman's office. And we were already in, in a training camp. So I said, okay. And I, and they told me they wanted to see me at nine o'clock. And so I went back to uh, bed and I jumped up. I said, why would they want to see me at 9 o'clock? I'm still going to be on the field at 9 o'clock. And I called this uh, lady name with Virginia. I called Virginia and said, Virginia, I said, this is Kenny. I said, why would you guys want to see me on the field at 9 o'clock? I'm supposed to be out practicing. And I said, did you trade me? You know, and she said, well, I don't know nothing about it. 
<laughs> I said, well, I said, tell him I'll be right over. Anyway, I jumped in my car. My wife had already gone to work. I jumped in my car and went to the all the facility. And uh, the two general managers, Tom Williams and John Breen, I saw them in the hallway and they both kind of ducked their heads and ran to the office. <laughs> and I'm thinking, hey, what's going on here? And I said, John, I said, uh, Tom, y'all trade me? They go, I don't know nothing about stuff like that. You know, I say, they said, go see Mr. Gilman. So anyway, I went to see uh, Sid and he was at the front door and he said, well, come on in, son. And I told him, I said, uh, before I come in your office, I want to know that you trade me. And he said, well, let's, let's, let's talk about it. You know, come in and talk about it. I said, no, nah. I said, before I come in your office, I don't want, need to know if I've been traded. And he goes, well, yeah, we we working on it. Uh, and some made some small talk. And I said, uh, who'd, you who'd you trade me to? And he said, we trade you to the Redskins. And I'm thinking, the Redskins? And they had the Over the Hill gang. That's when they were really popular. Mm-hmm. And so I never went in his office. I thanked him and turned around. I went, got in the car and drove to my wife and told her that we had been traded. And, you know, I didn't even know what Washington was on the map. <laughs> this would be your first time out of Texas as a, as a professional. Yeah, yeah. I thought everything was just outside of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you know that happens. So sure, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And and so you walk in. So that's a fascinating team you walk into because it's it's obviously been in the Super Bowl. It's Sonny Jurgensen and Billy Kilmer. It's Charlie Taylor and Roy Jefferson, Jerry Smith. Um, obviously on defense, Allen had brought in all those guys from his Rams years. And 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 I, I saw a great quote from you early in the season. There's a Monday night game, and yep. Redskins are winning fourteen seven. And you stick Walt Garrison on like the one yard line and yeah. it just looks like he's going to get in, but you stand him up and take him down and you guys win. The clock runs out. And you said that that's when you felt like you were accepted by the team. Tell me about yeah. that. You kind of go into a veteran team like that as a veteran yourself. Well, what happened was, you know, like I can understand. Uh, why would you trade that many guys for me and I still could get a starting job? Because he 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 didn't he didn't do it like that. You had to earn your way on the ball club. Sure. And so I was still uh, playing second team, and Roosevelt Taylor, the free safety, broke his leg, broke his arm. So they moved Brig Owens, who was a strong safety, over to the free safety, and that's when I got in the game. That's when I started in the game. Well, these guys had played the uh, all of that thing, but they didn't know the AFL players. So, but that night when I made that play, it made it feel like I was accepted. Right. You know, I mean, uh, I was a part of, and I never looked back after that. You know, they were they were excited about having me there. And I made other great plays, you know, and stuff like that. So once they saw me play, then, and, and not being a selfish player, you know, and uh, I knew Charlie. Charlie was from Texas. I met Brig. Brig and I were real close friends. Uh, you know, Chris, and, and I used to watch those guys play the over the hill game. I would watch them on Monday night. You know, it was, it was, it was an honor to be with that group, Deacon Jones. I mean, hey, what can you say? You're playing with Deacon Jones, you know, Dave Robinson. You, almost all the guys, Dwayne Thomas, Kevin Hill, you, you named them, they were there. Yeah. So you felt like if you were with the Redskins 
at that time, that was the name. Uh, you were going to meet people. Uh, you you were going to see if they were cut, you were going to see them. Because <laughs> yeah. George picked them up. Yeah, yeah. Verlon Biggs, Dyron Talbert, Jack Kirby. Uh, hey, Verlon Biggs and I used to fish together every day. He, Charlie Taylor, and myself. I mean, it was just it was just a fun group to be with. Yeah. Well, and and it's funny. I, I interviewed uh, Billy Kilmer for this show maybe six months ago <clears throat> and he told some great stories and the the two things that i get the biggest kick out of one from an outsider's perspective i didn't realize that he and sonny got along so well because he always had the sense that there was a rivalry but he said that after the first practice he was there he walked up to sonny and said you know where does a guy get a beer around here and sonny said follow me and he said we've yeah. been having that ever since then <laughs> yeah <laughs> It was big in Georgetown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the other thing was, um, he was saying, and this ties into Verlon Biggs, there's that, uh, the 74 Thanksgiving game. You're playing Dallas. And uh, they're kind of having uncharacteristic year. The Cowboys aren't going to go to the playoffs. So this is their playoffs, right? The chance to beat you guys. And I, I think, you know, people wanted to, to take out Roger Staubach. Yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't having a good game. And Kilmer says that he's walking up and down the bench saying the defensive players don't hurt Roger. Don't hurt Roger. For once, we finally got the guy. And Verlon Biggs didn't listen <laughs> and hit him and took him out. And in comes Clint Longley. Just walk me through yeah. that. What was that like seeing this guy who nobody knows who he is come in and start hurling bombs? I, I, I want to forget that name forever. <laughs> <laughs> That I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was uh when you, you know when you look at when you look at when I look at my career and, and the guys I played with and whatever, it was like you were not going to football practice. I mean, the practice would be over with. George would send us home, and the guys wouldn't leave. That's how much they liked each other. Hmm. And everybody had a everybody was selling something. Like some guys might sell gold. Some guys might sell clothes. You know, it, it was just a, it was a happening. I understand now, you know, when I look back at it, it was more than a team. It was more than a team because they had a, they had something uh, that other teams didn't have. And these were old guys. When I walked in the locker room, I'm thinking, what did he trade me for? What did he, what am I trading into? Because guy was smoking cigars and <laughs> hopping on game and stuff. I'm thinking, these guys can't play, you know. But boy, when that gun went off, they played. Yeah. Yeah. It was a group. That's funny. Yeah. And at one point uh, in your like second or third year there, uh, I interviewed Calvin Hill also, and we talked about this. The running back room was incredible. It's Larry Brown. It's John Riggins, who's come over from the Jets. It's Mike Thomas, who's in his like second year, and he had a couple thousand yard years. And oh, by the way, Calvin Hill, who has come over from the WFL after obviously being a star in Dallas. I mean, that, yeah. that's got to be one of the most incredible running back rooms in NFL history. Well, Calvin was an interesting guy. He's my roommate. <laughs> and his, his uh, vocabulary was absolutely unbelievable. And he spent up half the night talking. I spent up half the night wondering what's he talking about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, he he was he was on another fact. Great, great guy. I mean, him and Janet. He lost his wife this year, and uh, his son. 
the basketball club. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was it was uh, we had Dwayne Thomas, you know, came down from Dallas. I'm yeah. telling you, if, if they were cut, you were gonna see them at Redskin Park. Yeah, you were gonna see them, and so that was just a that was a a highlight reel. Just being with them, I think I, I like Ron McDowell. He's still living. Uh, Pat Fisher, you know, those guys are still uh, jerking. You know, all those. I mean, it was just like a. I think that you played there on your ability to play, not what people thought about you. George wasn't a, a overseer where he wanted to control everything you did, and we used to we used to find it funny when they say that uh, Sonny Jurgensen or Billy Kilmer would got picked up for drinking in Georgetown. <laughs> on the night before the game. That was fun to us. You know, it's like, what is going on here? You know, but it, it was it was good. That's funny. And and you um you, you mentioned Pat Fisher a second ago. Pat yeah. Fisher, I mean a, a, just a small guy, but hit like a hammer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh and and Chris Hamburger and then and the 70s were funny because you had all these safety tandems, right? You had Atkinson and Tatum, you had yeah. Waters and Harris, uh Wagner and Shell, Plank and Fensick, Dick Anderson and Jake Scott. And then all of a sudden, Jake Scott, there's like a I, I don't remember if it was a contract issue or what. All of a sudden, you're with Jake Scott now. Yeah, yeah. You guys become one of the safety tandems. He's one of the smartest uh, football players I've ever been around. Yeah, he came in, I guess, you know, with Shula and whatever. And he had so he introduced some plays that they're still not running now. I mean, he, he came in with some stuff that, you know, like Rich Pettibone was the uh, secondary coach. Sure. And uh, so, you know, like Rich was like George. Uh, if, you, if you got somebody that's doing something good, you need to incorporate it. And Jake was uh, he's the kind of guy he didn't cooperate while the game was going on. <laughs> you know, he was, we gonna do this, this, and this, and whatever like that. And then we get there, and uh, Richard gave us that kind of uh, uh, what do you call it, of, of, of our insight into the game, like latitude but, to. Yeah, I remember uh, Jake. I and he passed away last year. Yeah. He came with the spout coverage. What kind of coverage? We call it spout. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it was it was the best thing since sliced bread. It it still worked, but I don't think that many people uh, know know about it or even know how it worked. And that's what John Dallas would do. He would take those veteran players, and if they had something good working, that that's what he 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 was not ashamed to lie. He would come in, John would come in, and he'd have all these plays going up, and he'd give it to what he called his general. And uh, he, he, he said, take this on and see if this will work. Tell me what you think about it. He didn't force it on you if you couldn't play it. And that's why I was so, I, I remember the night that I stopped Warren Garrison. Brigo and I had a combo coverage on. And they read it as a man coverage. And he baked, I was going up to intercept the ball. He threw the ball to the guy. And I happened to catch him. It, it was more popular by stopping Warren Garrison, it was running for six. And I realized that because, uh, you know, Walt, I, li I, I, I like Walt, you know, but uh, it was he, he made my career that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Walt Garrison, an actual cowboy, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw him a couple years ago. 
I hadn't seen him in a long, long time, but he was a real cowboy. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Uh, and, 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 and he kept, and uh, George kept bringing guys in. Then all of a sudden Mike Curtis joins the linebacker. Yeah. I mean, tell, tell me about him. I, I, cause I talked to Steve Largent and Largent, you know, he played for with Seattle for a year or two. And he was like, man, he was crazy. <laughs> he, was, he, he was like a wind up doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he reminded me of. And he was, he was built like a rock. I mean, he was as tough as a boot. So if, if you put him in the A-gap, wasn't nothing going to run the A-gap. <laughs> going to stop it. Okay, so it was – he was a, he was the kind of guy uh, – I, I, I caught him in his later years when he didn't have as much flexibility. But head on, head on, you you match him with anyone. That's how good he was. Yeah. yeah. And you think about these guys, you bringing them up and talking about them, and it was so many guys came through there uh, I for, kind of forgotten that that they were there. You know, I I had the, the guys that I was with every day, uh, Verlin Big and Charlie Ted. We used to fish together a lot. Fish a bird hunt. Yeah, well, and it's it is amazing. I mean, and the, the list just goes on of guys coming in. Coy Bacon, Lamar Parrish. Coy Bacon, Carl, Carl was a, I think he ended up being a minister. Oh, did he? Uh, and that was the I, I think he did, and that was the farthest thing from you know like. Those guys were, I mean, it was, it was just, it was fun going to practice because all those guys were in the locker room. I mean, and, and nobody, nobody rushed to get home. They rushed to get in the locker room and they start. I mean, they would start. Nobody, everybody could have been home 35 to 40 minutes, even an hour earlier, but they would sit around and listen to each other tell those lies. And uh, it was, that was, that's still a highlight in my life. But no, you know, it was, uh, I'm, I'm, I thank you for bringing that out because a lot of that stuff I had, a lot of that stuff, uh, I didn't forget about it. You know, like uh, you think about it, Brick Ong was one of my very best friends. Sure. And he passed away, I guess, three weeks ago, I guess, a month ago. And we used to call him Joe Lavender. I got a message from Joe Lavender this morning. And uh, Roy Jefferson called all the time, you know, and whatever. So we still, we still, talk to each other, you know, the one that's still here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you just, uh, it was, it was the highlight. I, I'm, I'm happy. The best thing they did, not because I left to all of them, but they placed me with people that I'll never forget. You know, that was a, that was a team that was, uh, it was, it was a special team, very special team. Yeah. 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 And it was, it's interesting. One of like the little footnotes in history is that Mark Mosley wins yes. MVP a couple of years after you retired and you had played with him in Houston too. Did you have yes. much relationship with Mark? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember uh, uh, Bill Peterson cutting him off when he was in Houston. Sure. And he was, he was good kicking in and Bill met him in the parking lot and said, uh, I dreamed I uh, cut you last night, so I'm, so I'm gonna do it now. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, you talking about a, he, 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 this guy was special. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> he was your coach for one year in Houston, right, Peterson? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think maybe two years. He was gonna. He was. He was upset because he thought people was fine on the uh, our practice out of the Rice Hotel, and so he put up a net to block the view. And the net had holes in it about four inches apart. <laughs> you know, it's like it's just like I don't think you can even see the net from the hotel room. It was you could still shoot right through it. He it, it just he was, he's a funny man. He's That's a funny, funny. man. <laughs> That's great. Um, and and when you so after the so you had at the beginning of the interview you talked about um, how you didn't miss a game. I mean, your first twelve years you played in every single game. You started almost all of them. You played in every game. And then you broke your arm in 79. In, at yeah. the end of the 80 season, did you, were you deciding to retire or were, you know, did, were you, did they release you or how, how did your career end? They were, they were deciding to retire me. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't, I mean, I could have played, but uh, I remember uh, when Jack Party called me in and uh, we had played uh, the Oakland Raiders. And they were in a slot formation. I'm always on the backside of a slot formation. And they tried to run the play to my side. And I came up forced to play and whatever. <clears throat> and the, the back reverse field and went out the slot side and ran like 80 some yards. I forget who the back was. So the next day when I was at, at when we got back to DC, uh, Jack, uh, sent the minister, our minister at that time, and told him that he needed to meet with me. And, uh, and I went to meet and I said, well, you know, I'm thinking maybe it's some game strategy or something like that. And he had to put one particular play on. <clears throat> and uh, it showed the running back running at the slot side, and I'm on the tight end side on the back. And so my job was to when they come when they come my way if I couldn't make the tackle, you turn it back to the defense, which I done for 14 years, and that's what I did. And they just had run guys on the other side, and you know, had 10 guys miss the tackle. And for some reason, he wanted to you know kind of put that on me. And I said, Jack, because I played a little bit with Jack. I said, now listen, I said if it's something that you need to talk to me about, do that, but don't blame me for something that I've done for 14 years. Right. And so he, 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 he couldn't, so they, they, they benched me. And uh, we played, uh, I guess, oh, when they had Ken Houston Day. And they had given all the fans in RFK these little uh, gold, red and gold signs with We Love Ken on them. So on that particular day, uh, on my retirement day, uh, the day that they had we were going to honor me. We played the New York Giants. And uh, Tucker was the tight end. Oh, Bob Tucker. Yeah. yeah Bob Tucker. <clears throat> and uh, so I, they didn't put me in. I, I didn't play. And the fans got the stomping and going on. And so I said, uh, next day came out in the paper that uh, I was slowing and, and stuff like that. That's the only time I ever talked back. And I said, well, you know, you can say a lot of things about him, but don't say that Jack Tucker beat me. <laughs> you know, I said, because, because he didn't. I said, I don't know why I'm not playing. I, that's, a, that's management choice. You know, this is my last year, but just don't, just don't blame me, you know, for, and, and, and what happened was 
We played uh, Jack Tucker. We played uh, St. Louis the next week. They had Mel Gray and all that speed. Sure. And Lamar Patrick, the cornerback, couldn't play. And I hadn't been on the field in six weeks, I guess. And when they called the starters, I didn't even have my pads. I had, you know, my uniform. I didn't have no pads on it. Because <clears throat> that was going to be my last game ever. And I definitely didn't want to get hurt on my last, you know, last game of the season. So I didn't put any pads on. I, you know, just uh, anyway, when Jack called the uh, starters, he called my name. I had to run and get taped. And this was just between coming off the field and starting. So I go in and, uh, and play the, the rest of the game. Played the whole game. And it was just like the game I had on the day I was bent. You know, it, so I, did, I didn't mind. But, you know, a lot of times players get caught up in uh, coaching situation. You know, so I, I don't have any regret. Um, because I don't, I don't really, unless I'm reminded of it, I don't even think about it because I had a, a glorious career. Sure. And uh, I, I understand the game, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I guess I have two questions there. One, you, is it weird playing for a guy who you've played with? So like all, you know, you play for a couple of years with Pardee. Now all of a sudden he's your coach. What's that like? Um, and then, oh. Pettibone, I played Pettibone secondary coach. Uh, oh, too? Yeah, okay. I think I think it's difficult for the coach, you know, the, who's coaching you, because if you've seen them play, you know what they did. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like, why you didn't make that tackle? You know why I didn't make that tackle? Yeah. It'll exactly. break my neck. It'll break my neck to make that tackle. So I'm not going to put my head in there. I, I know what tackle not to make. Right. You know. I mean, it's like so, and, and so when you talk to somebody, it's not it's not like you're talking to somebody who had never played the game. You know, why didn't you take that uh, take that guard on? Well, that guard is better than me, and he's bigger than me, so I can turn him back, but I can't make the play. I can, you know, I can start to play, but I can't make the play. So there's a lot of things I could uh, would would speak up and say. You know, having played, you know, it's like. I, I, I feel bad about it too when you see it on film. Right. But there's certain things like, you know, I, I'm I'm in the league 14 years and my head's not going there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why you went for 14 years. Right. So if you play it, you know why your head is not going there. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then you spend basically the decade of the 80s in coaching. You spend four or five years with the Oilers for yeah. various head coaches. To include at the very end, Jerry Glanville. I'm curious what what that was like, um, and then you sw- you go across town and you coach at the University of Houston. Yeah, and I enjoyed that, you know, because you get a chance to teach a skill, and uh, it, it's like I can look out there now and see some things that I think should be taught, or know why guys making that error. Uh, but you're not asked. Uh, I always wanted to do it right. And so what, what I did was I called Willie Brown. I would call uh, any safety that I knew. Say, man, how do you do this? How do you how do you play that? Or what did you do? Let's talk about this. Uh, you know. And so we talk about players talk about that stuff. We be in Pro Bowl games. How do you do this? How do you force that play? Uh, 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 what was your position? And, and I, I see, I can see stuff right now that's where guys can do one thing and change their game. One thing. And change the game. 
the, the, the best coach that I think that I uh, had that taught me more than anything was a coach by the name of Brandon Miller. And Brandon couldn't even back up. But he, he, he had uh, he had he had studied, gotten it down. Matter of fact, when the first year Brandon coached me, that's when I led the league in interception. Was that in Houston? Yeah, in Houston, yeah. I mean, and because what he told me made so much sense. And you don't even, I mean, it, it, it's like you are coached into position. So there's certain things you can tell a player and you coach him into that position. And he don't even know why he got, or why, or how he got there. You know, and so that's, that's, that's the thing that I miss uh, about, you know, uh, and I don't want to coach, but I just want to be able to tell a guy, hey, man, if you do this, if you do this one thing, it'll change where you live. Yeah. And, 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 and when, when Bernie told me, that's what I want to pass on. When Bernie told me, that's, I, I, I led the league in interceptor. I had four touchdowns. I had touchdowns back to back. Off the interceptor. Sure. You know. that, was that 71? I think it's 71, yeah. 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 And when and when you were coaching at the University of Houston, that's when that was one of the craziest offenses of all time. I, w- I had David Klinger. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we made it difficult to practice because defense don't play defense. You dictate what you want them to do to you. So if, 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 if you got a guy like to run and shoot or something like that, what you do, you make him throw the ball. Either way it goes, you're going to get beat. Okay? So what we did, we blitzed everybody. They, could, they couldn't scrimmage us. <laughs> we bring one more and they could block. You know, and so that's why that uh, even, even now, how do you want your poison? How you, can, you can pick your poison by what you do on defense. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, don't don't let them sit back. You see it, you see it now. The game is if you watch it now, it's evolving again. They went from a, a defensive back looking back until he's not looking back anymore. He's looking at the receiver. Uh, I've always said, and I, I, I'm not saying I'm telling you what I know now on this right here. He's going where his belt buckle go. That's where he's going. That's where the receiver's going. I don't care what he does with his head. I don't care what he does with his arm. So goes his bell buckle. So goes the receiver. And so you're looking at a lot of stuff that you don't need to look at. Yeah, you you, you can't fake your belt buckle. Yeah, it, you know I think I read. I think I saw Willie Brown said that too. You watch the belt buckle. Oh yeah, I don't know. it's like a fighter. It's like a fighter. See, sports kind of correlate. A boxer just stay in the middle of your belt buckle. It, it, you know that if I can hit your bell buckle, I can hit your face because your face is in the center of your bell buckle. Yeah. So that, that, that's a boxing skill. That's funny. You that's know, great. And, and, and everything just goes together. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, uh, I, I, so I have to ask you. I have to ask you a couple of. Uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated by this part. Um, who were some of the quarterbacks that you played against over the years, you know, AFL days, NFL days, who were some of the quarterbacks that, you know, you just, you just really admired from afar and also some of the guys who you played with, who you loved having be you know, your general. I, admired, I mean, other Jurgensen and Kilmer. Sure. Got a couple of guys down there, but uh, I always had a lot of respect for Johnny U, Johnny United. Um, Brandon, 
marketing because he he run you silly. He's coming around like that. Roger Starbuck, he's in our conference. Um, but as far as just a pure passer, the purest passer that I've ever seen was Senator Jurgensen. Mm. I mean, just as his ball was like, it, it would float along beside you. I mean, he, he just he just had that gift. Name was through a hard a harder ball, but he was good. You know, he was good at what he did. And I'm sure there'll be some guys that I overlooked, but it was it was a lot of good quarterbacks. Uh, but just the one, and I still say this, just the one pure passer was Senator Jurgensen. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, he, you know, like every now and then you, you get a Muhammad Ali or somebody like that who just does it different. Okay. Uh, who, who was gifted with that talent. <clears throat> he was gifted with that talent. There are a lot of quarterbacks that can throw, throw flat balls. They can do this, but you run alongside Sonny Jerkson ball. They just come up here like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it was just, he was just, he just, and I, I don't think I think you can ask anybody other than me, and they would probably tell you the same thing. And that's some great quarterbacks. You know, it, it's hard to compare, you know, like uh some of them throw a flat ball, some of them throw a long ball. Uh Warren Moon had a, a real pure pass. Uh it was it was it was harder than Sonny Jerkinson, but it was a pure pass. It came out spiraling uh every time, you know. So there are a lot of guys, uh but I think those man, those guys come to mind um, when who, I when I see it. Yeah, who who were some of the receivers that uh, you admired? You know, that where you just thought to yourself, "This is going to be a long day covering this guy." Oh boy, I could I could see all of them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, that's a real good question. Uh, And I know I'll, I'll name a receiver that you uh, probably don't. You might know him. You may not. Uh, Warren Wells. Sure, Raiders. With the Raiders, I mean, he's he 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 make you sleep bad at night. Warfield would make you sleep. Lance Allworth that you never hear talked about. Lance was a I call him a leaping lizard because <laughs> he you could couldn't upset him. He's gonna jump up and catch the ball. He, he, he wasn't boisterous. Charlie Jordan, uh, he'd take off. And uh, you, you, he, he was running in his last break, he was running. He didn't come off full speed. He ran, he ran out of every break. And, I mean, when he, when he decided to make a cut, he was always level with the ground. I mean, he was just that. You know, you, you, you see some guys, they say they got it. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of receivers. Uh, but you got to understand this. When I talk about a receiver, see, I, I don't, I don't think a, a two-yard catch is with a pick is, is 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 a is a pass. So when you get a guy blocking at the line of scrimmage, you step behind the ball, step behind the line of scrimmage, catching the ball, and you come up with fifty-five catches. You know, my deal is a catch should be five yards or more. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to release. You know, and, and there are different kind of catches. Back then, you could come up on the line of scrimmage. A lot of guys couldn't even get off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, just get jammed. They could, they could not release from the line of scrimmage. It, it wouldn't be there. So 
if they have to do something to allow you to catch a pass, it's a different kind of pass. I didn't say it was the wrong thing to do, but it's a different kind of it's a different kind of ball. Sure. You know, we don't basically we threw the ball on on third down. We run, they run one, run two, and third down, maybe third or fourth. You know, they just got what they're passing every play. <clears throat> and when you see it now, you know, like as a defensive back, when you put your hands on me and push off of me, I can't come back. All you got to do is just put your hand on me, and I can't come back. Yeah. So it, it, they're going to have to reclassify the way they're calling it, what they're calling the cat. And you see it now with this, uh, with, with, slow motion TV, you see a lot of things that you didn't see, you know, uh, that you couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. It drives, <coughs> it drives me crazy now watching and, and having sympathy for, you know, defensive backs. Almost every time there's an incomplete pass, there's that pause where everybody looks around to see if the flag is coming because they call DPI so much. And it's like, come on. You can't, you can't even, and, and don't get me wrong. If if you're not allowed to lower your head and make a tackle, he shouldn't be allowed to lower his head and run a ball. It's the same thing. Right. I'm not saying, you know, like there to me, I always, you know, like I hit with my arm, or I would take my head across his waist, his belt buckle, because that's the only place it's not a pass. Right. It, it it's it's not. It's not the easiest way to, that's a good way to break my neck when I do it. And I, I compromise myself, put myself in position to make a tackle. And I'm thinking, this is it. This guy it hurt me for life. Yeah. So uh, they, I tell you, the, 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 the best way to make them play, I mean, to let them play, is that guy to go back. We practice against the clock, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. That ball should be released. And you do it for two reasons. Well, first of all, it, you, the speed of the game picks up the longer you hold the ball. The guy gets faster and faster, okay? Yeah. And so the deal is, 1,001, 2003, if you let a quarterback run across to the right and you can't hit him, you can't hit his knee, you, you, if you put the clock on the quarterback, say, okay, good. You can't get hit, but you got to be out. That ball's got to be out of your hand in a certain period of time. That would right away. That was that would make the game safer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, picks the game get unsafe when it picks up speed. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, and and along this theme, the, the last one I'll ask you is, uh, especially since you were a strong safety, who was actually I'll ask you two more uh, tight ends since you probably had to cover a lot of tight ends coming across yeah. the middle. Who were the tight ends that uh, you know that you admired their play? The the guy that gave me the most trouble was Bob Trumpet. Sure. From Cincinnati. Yeah. So he was six six and they flex him out and he could really, really run that. He's he wasn't gonna, you know, he wasn't the best blocker. When you look at uh the John Mackes, uh the Willie Frazier's, uh uh Mike Dicta, I call them stalkers. Because <laughs> they, they they had one objective to hurt that strong safety. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like <laughs> and so what helped what helped me with those guys, I was an offensive line, I was a center. So I didn't have no fear of any tight end, you know, maybe one. And you, you don't probably don't even know this guy. 
we call him Sea Dog. His name was Willie Frazier, favorite candidate in Houston. Yeah, I didn't I mean, know him. Went to Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, he was he he had he he had your head on the swivel. Okay. You know, you have to watch those guys. I mean, because uh, you know, like uh, Dave Casper was was a guy that uh, I had a lot of respect for. You know, it, 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 it's really hard, but I'm I'm just talking about the guys who who gave me uh, trouble. Sure. You know. Yeah. 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 And who? who and the last question I'll ask you: Who are the safeties that you like to watch today? You know, they got this young group of defensive backs that really playing good football now. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they play with what they with what kind of advantage they. You know, stepping with. Uh, I don't really watch the. I don't really know the young ones. Sure. So, um, because the, the 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 game is so different, you know. But you know, I, when I when I'm thinking safety, I'm thinking uh, Mel Blonde and people like that. The guy from Denver that just got into the Hall of Fame. Oh, Steve uh, Atwater. Steve Atwater, you know. Uh, the guy from Pittsburgh just got into the game. They they had they they play a different brand of ball. Sure, but they they uh, I think the corners right now are as good as they've ever been because it, it it's tough to play ball with the way they got to play now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I, I I'm gonna I'm just gonna read two quick quotes that I just thought I got a kick out of, um, and and then I have to say you know thank you so much for taking the time. It's it's just great. Hearing these one um, one thing, I, I uh, Steve Largent. When I mentioned, I, I was texting with him about something, and I said that I was interviewing you, and he said, uh, "A great player and a better man, a true leader of men." Uh, about you, which I thought was pretty cool. Steve is yeah, I, I, I like Steve. We 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 spent some time together at the hall. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. He he obviously is an admirer. And then also, I, I love this quote, uh, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle said that Ken Houston is the greatest strong safety in NFL history. It's not debatable. I'd love for someone to argue it. I could recite off the top of my head the things that he did that nobody else did or could do. Um, so I, I thought that was a great, you know, kind of period at the end of the sentence for your career. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's good to hear him say that. When you, when, when, you, when, you get, when you get it from somebody, when you get it from the source, of people that really study the game, then it means a lot to you, you know, because you know, and 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 they they've had a way to compare and stuff like that. So that that uh, that's that's a real block. Thank you, and thank you for having me on this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, this is great. It's such a such a pleasure to you know kind of talk about the you know growing up in Texas and the Prairie View years. Obviously, you know, stellar pro career with Houston and Washington. It, it's been a real pleasure having you on Chasing Hardware. Thank you. Okay, Ken. Take care. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time.
it's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com